Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Uh, We'll be joined by Corbin in just a moment, Um, but first I want to remind you that we are, again, brought to you by Draft, which is the daily fantasy site that does live snake drafts instead of these salary cap leagues, and by doing it this way, your chances of winning increase by 80% because you're not facing these salary cap, these daily fantasy pros that enter 200 lineups on these salary cap sites like DraftKings or whatever. Um, so the, And the best part is about Draft is if you use promo code 94FEET in all caps when you sign up, you'll get free entry into a paid contest with your first deposit. And you'll also be able to help out and support our site, 94FEETReport.com, which you can follow on Twitter at the 94FEETReport. So go out and check check out Draft, sign up, and use promo code 94 in all caps to get that free entry and support the site. Um, but enough rambling, enough promotions. Let's get Corbin on. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Eric. Finally glad to be back. Man. It's been a long journey, but you know, we got there. We're it, here. Exactly. I was thinking about it. It's been two weeks since we we did our last episode together. Last week, I, I did my own solo show, and it, it something something felt wrong, you know, just talking to myself, basically, and not doing all the segments. So it's great to have you back, and we're, we're going to go through all six of our segments now this week. And uh, before we uh, – anything else before we get started? Hey, man, nothing else. Just I missed you, buddy. It's good to be back. Let's get started. <laughs> All right, let's do it. In just a moment, we'll be uh, transitioning into our baseline question. And now it's time for the baseline. All right, so for the baseline question, for those of you who are not familiar with our show, we take turns each week coming up with a question for the other person, and and it's my turn for the baseline question. I had this question prepared last week, but of course we didn't record last week together, And but I figured it's a question that, that, that still applies this week, and the question is this, Corbin. Who are you more comfortable in picking to make the finals? And Obviously, the two choices are Cavs or Warriors. So which team do you feel more comfortable right now? If I had to ask you, who do you think is more likely to make the finals between the Cavs or the Warriors, which team are you picking and why? Um, for me, that's that's the Cavs. I, I say that because although the Warriors, you know, are, are number two in the Western Conference and are just as good as last year, you know, even barring some early injury and lack of focus, I think the Rockets, and, and it hurts me to say this, but they might be a little bit of a threat for them. I, I see them as more of a threat for the Warriors than I see anyone as a threat for the Cavs and that's just because I don't know who can stop LeBron in the East I mean who has the personnel for that Washington Detroit Toronto Boston comes closest because of the stable of wings that they have you know Jason Tatum Jalen Brown Marcus Smart Marcus Morris even Semi Ojale but I doubt that any could seriously slow him down especially at the level he's playing at right now yeah, I mean LeBron's playing. Uh, I mean it's just re- it's ridiculous that he's playing this well at this stage of his career. He's turning 33, I think, in like a week or two. Just had another triple double tonight in the win in a back to back in Washington. I know the Wizards have been hit or miss, and Wall's coming back from an injury, but still a very impressive victory. Still a very impressive performance from LeBron. And I agree with you. I'm going to pick the Cavs as well because basically, as you mentioned, I mean, who can really stop LeBron? Now, you could say, well. You look at the Warriors, who can stop KD? And then, oh, if you stop KD, they've got Clay. And if you stop Clay, they have Steph Curry. And, you know what I mean? So they have they have obviously more options, but the Cavs will have Isaiah Thomas in the playoffs, another tough guy to stop offensively. I know you can attack him defensively, but offensively, he's a problem to deal with. And they still have Kevin Love, and Kevin Love continues to get underrated. And, you know, he's not really a go-to guy, but he can be for stretches of games. Um, so the Cavs have, you know, other people besides LeBron, but it, it comes down to, to basically LeBron being the best player in the league, in the world. And it's just like, as much as I like the Celtics and I like their recipe of using their defense to win games, and obviously, you know, the saying is that defense wins championships, and, and it's good that they have a really good defense for the playoffs, uh, even though the defense has kind of fallen off recently. Um, I have concerns about them offensively. I, I know they have Kyrie Irving but and Al, Al Horford, but you're going to rely on rookie Jason Tatum in the playoffs? I mean, I wouldn't. And Al Horford's a great 
secondary offensive player, he really can do a great job of helping out a star. But if they had Gordon Hayward, I would feel much, much more confident about their chances because you need more than one guy to really take over offensively. And, and as, as great as Kyrie Irving is offensively, the Cavs or you know any really any playoff team for that matter being able to focus in on him and put the pressure on Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, these guys who are not proven offensively and are young, especially in the playoffs, that could be a problem for them. I'm not saying they're going to get bounced out early, but I have concerns about them. And then the Raptors you know, have kind of transitioned into this new offense of, you know, more passing, more three-point shooting, better flow. But we have to see that maintain itself in the playoffs because obviously, this, you know, the thing is that most players, when they get pressed and there's a lot of pressure on them, they revert to what they're most comfortable in doing. And that could see the Raptors revert back to their kind of isolation, one-on-one, mid-range, DeMar DeRozan kind of play. And obviously, the you know, people like to slander guys like James Harden or whatever for their bad playoff performances. But by God, Kyle Lowry um, and DeMar DeRozan have had their fair share of bad playoff performances as well. So I have concerns about them as well. And then obviously you mentioned teams like the Wizards. Uh, you know, the Wizards need to make a move. I mean, if they don't make a move for another piece, maybe DeAndre Jordan or Lou Williams, I have no confidence in picking them to even make the conference finals. Um, the Bucks, I still just – I just – I don't. I don't think it's going to happen for the Bucks either, at least this season. Um, and you know, the Pistons and the Pacers—they're just—they just don't have the pieces, enough pieces to really make it even to the conference finals to even think about you know taking out the Cavs. So for that reason, because there's such a lack of a real threat, I think to the Cavs, I'm going to pick them. And you mentioned the Rockets, and we we even even talk about the Spurs, who are always you know they might not be a real threat to beat the Warriors, but they could be a threat you know if they face them in the second round to kind of rough them up and and you know take them to six games because they are the Spurs. True, true, and and that is, I mean, the West, you can't have really been on the West, and for me, the Rockets pose a challenge to the Warriors, not only because, you know, the Warriors have weapons that they have to stop, and they have, you know, Bob Mute and, and, and P.J. Tucker and, and long wings to kind of help out with there and, and, and get in and muck it up, but also, with Chris Paul and James Harden, those are two offensive masterminds that, I mean, Golden State has the personnel for, but they're really going to have to lock those two down. I think that could at least be more of a challenge, you know? As, as you said about the East, everything else outside of, of Boston, is, is to me, is hit or miss. And even Boston, I mean, if that first game was any telling or any or any um, prediction, you know, there wasn't anyone who could really stop LeBron. Jalen Brown is, is nice, and, 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 and he's, a, he's a pest, but he, he's too small. And then Jason Tatum is good, but he just he, he just gets manhandled down there. Semi Ojale could get him, but LeBron has the quickness on him. You know, it, it's just a matchup problem. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. And there, and that I like that you mentioned that the Rockets finally have. You know, the Rockets probably have the. I would say, coming into the season, a lot of people thought the Thunder would be a, a great team to match up against the Warriors because they have great defenders in Andre Roberson, Paul George, Patrick Patterson. Um, so and, and the Thunder could still be that team. Obviously, they've gotten up to a rough start, but you know, come playoff time, they could be the team that matches up best with the Warriors. But the Rockets have been doing this thing where they throw out this this kind of they call it the Tuck Wagon lineup um, as kind of a, a nod to Chuck Hayes. Um, and put they put PJ Tucker at center, and they put Mabamute at power forward, and they can do a combination of Paul Harden and Eric Gordon, or Paul Harden Trevor Ariza. They can do some things on the on the wings and in the, the perimeter or the backcourt, I should say. And that lineup has been absolutely killing teams. I have an article coming out for Hoops Habit tomorrow that's reviewing the Rockets um, season two months in, and I, I mentioned that that lineup is just absolutely killing teams, and that's a lineup that they should go to against the Warriors, and probably one of the best lineups to guard the Warriors, and you know, the the, the Rockets with Chris Paul and James Harden, the, the fact that Mike D'Antoni staggers their minutes so that one of them is always on the floor is crucial, because now, unlike in previous seasons when James Harden would go to the bench and the Rockets would basically get killed by the Warriors during that time, now they should not get they should not ever be killed for a stretch because they don't have the offense to create. And you know, with having Chris Paul run against bench lineups, and I know the Warriors bench they stagger their guys too, and you know they have a better bench obviously than most teams in the league. But having Chris Paul out there or James Harden, one of them at all times, should make a huge difference for the Rockets offensively. And they have the pieces now defensively to try and at least if you're not going to stop them, at least limit some of the Warriors' big three. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Want to keep... Oh, excuse me. See, that's where the cold comes back. <laughs> but you want to keep moving to the... <laughs> want to keep moving to the baseline? Uh, you were the full-court press. I'm ready to go to that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, I'm <laughs> slowing behind. My mistake. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm still getting the hang of it here, but I'm a step behind. My mistake here. Wow. Let's get to the full-court press before I get myself into another troublesome situation. Get ready, because it's time for the full-court press. 
All right. Wow. That was that was fun. All right. So with the full court press, I understand you have a little game for us to play out here, Eric. Um, you want to kind of elaborate into it? I see the title is a game of in or out. So let's dig in. What's this about? I figured we have a little bit of fun and uh, try and make ourselves look stupid in a couple of months by predicting which teams uh, <laughs> of this list. I've got a list of five teams that are kind of on the border, hovering around 500. Some are in the playoffs right now. Some are looking. Some on the outside looking in. So let's play a game of in or out, and I will name a team, and I'd like you to say if you think they're going to make the playoffs or not and why, and we'll go back and forth on each team. So the first team, the New Orleans Pelicans, currently sit at 15 and 15, right at 500. Are they going to make the playoffs? I say yes. They're, they're, they're currently comfortably in, in the bottom half of the playoff standings. I think at seventh. But they are there. Um, they dish out 26.7 assists per game. And they convert 49% of their field goals this season. And that's second only to go and stay on both, on both categories. And although New Orleans doesn't seemingly make a lot of noise from three, both Etwan Moore at 48.3% and Darius Miller at 45.9% or in the top 10 in the NBA in three-point percentage. And when you have Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, especially playing at the level that they are, I mean, they, they've been steady at 500 or just about. They play well. Their offensive system works. And, uh, you know, I see them there. I, I don't see them getting high like like a four or a five, but I definitely see them being in the playoffs and making some noise, a little uh, bit at least. Yes, I agree. I had not – I picked them to not make the playoffs before the season started. Um, you look at them right now, the 8th offense and the 23rd defense. Their defense has fallen off a cliff recently. Um, yikes, yikes. Yeah, and, and sometimes when you watch DeMarcus Cousins, I mean, his defensive effort is really, really bad. And for him to play such a crucial position as, at center, um, for him to be that bad defensively, at least effort-wise, can really kill your defense. Um, and, you know, they have other capable defenders, but, you know, no world beaters on that end. And, and they just lost Tony Allen for a little bit of time as well. Um, and they should be getting Solomon Hill back, I think, you know, January or February. So that could help out, especially defensively. But that defense, it's 23rd, as I mentioned. And, and that, that's really hard, you know, to make the playoffs with that low of a defense. I think they could creep up into the top 20. And they have to do that. And they have to maintain that top 10 offense. And my hit thing with the Pelicans is that in the NBA, the NBA is probably the only league where if you have one to two stars you can make the playoffs, even if the rest of your team is, you know, mediocre at best. And Drew Holiday has kind of, you know, stepped it up. And I, I was watching a recent Rockets game, and I think the Pelicans have the third or fourth highest scoring trio, and it's Cousins, Davis, and Holiday. And obviously Cousins and Davis are, are two of the best players in the league, probably two top 15 players. Um, and when you have two of those players on your team, you know, it doesn't really matter who the rest of the supporting cast is, as long as they're, you know, giving effort, trying defensively, and hitting their shots. And guys like each one more have stepped up. I mentioned Drew Holiday stepping up. They're surrounding Davis and Cousins with, with un, just enough production that I think they're going to squeeze in. And as you mentioned, I don't think, I don't think they're going to move up in the standings. They are currently seventh. I know they're only a game and a half. They're only two games out of fourth, and that's the Timberwolves. And that's just how kind of mediocre the four through eight spots have been really four through nine spots have been this season i don't see them moving up i just think that the timberwolves blazers and nuggets are are better i could even see the thunder passing the pelicans but i do think the pelicans will make it either in the seventh or eighth seed just because they have two stars and if they stay healthy in the nba if you have two stars there's a really really good chance you're going to make the playoffs totally agree i have a question that's kind of out of bounds here but i want to see what you think about it these stats right now is DeMarcus Cousins for the year. 26.2 points, 12.2 rebounds, 5.1 assists, shooting 47% from the field, 36% from three. I know it's DeMarcus Cousins, and you have two runaways with James Harden and LeBron James. But would DeMarcus Cousins ever get in the NBA MVP conversation? I mean, I think he should be in it right now. Now, I know, obviously, they're only 500, and he is turning the ball over 5.2 times per game, which is unbelievable. Oh, I think he's on pace. I saw this on Twitter, uh, I think, last night. I think he's on pace to set a record for most turnovers in a season, not by James Harden or Russell Westbrook, who last season set incredible records with turnovers. Um, I think he's on pace to set the third most turnovers in a season by a center. Um, but obviously, he's not a traditional center. He's not a guy who runs you know, up and down the floor and gets into the post. He dribbles the ball up the court, and he playmakes. Obviously, you mentioned the 5.1 assists is incredible. Um, also averaging both 1.5 steals and blocks per game. He's doing it all. I think that if their record was a little bit better and if he didn't have this reputation as kind of 
I don't want to say a loser, but just like, you know, someone who he causes problems himself with his teams. If he didn't already have that kind of built-up reputation, and if they weren't 15 and 15, and if they didn't have Anthony Davis kind of not overshadowing him, but taking a lot of spotlight, I think he would be even more in the MVP discussion. I think he should get... I think he would be in the top five MVP if I, if I voted and I had a top five. I think he'd probably be, you know, maybe fourth or fifth because um, there are guys like Giannis and, um, you know, Kevin Durant playing really well for the Warriors without Steph Curry. But I think he deserves a lot of it. I just think it's kind of the reputation. Um, just, you know, I, I, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm disappointed with his defense. But again, you mentioned how much his offensive burden is. He has a 34% usage percentage. So... I kind of get it, but he is playing great this season. He should get a little bit more MVP discussion or at least a little bit more kind of uh, mention in the MVP discussion so far than he has been. I, that's what I thought, too. I was like, okay. But uh, want to move on? Yeah, let's go. Let's go to the Jazz. Let's, we'll stay in the Western Conference. Currently 14-16. and 16. They just lost Rudy Gobert. I think he's going to be out a month, I think, is scheduled. So he, he, he missed about a couple of weeks, and he comes back. He plays, you know, five to six games, and, you know, he has another knee injury. I think it was the MCL again, and he's out for a month again. So the Jazz at 14-16. and 16. They are currently just a half game behind the Thunder. They are currently ninth, just a half game behind the eighth place Thunder. Will the Jazz make the playoffs? I'm going to say no. Utah, they show great resiliency, and Donovan Mitchell is as polished a guard as I've seen in a while. I mean, he's averaging 18 points, 3.3 rebounds a game, and 3.4 assists per game. And Utah, especially down the stretch, has just turned their entire offense over to him. So it's just it's really good that he's been taking the challenge head on and, and playing really well. But I just don't think they'll win enough, to make, win enough games to make the playoffs. Ultimately, Rudy Gobert seems to go through month-long injuries seemingly every other game. And the Jazz offense really bogs down at times. And with, with that, their defense is, is good enough. But with their offense being as it is and, and injuries they have to go through and, you know, a, a rather disjointed offensive system, it generates good looks, but it's a problem knocking them down sometimes with such shaky shooters. I just don't know if it'll be enough for me for them personally. Yeah, I have to agree with you so far. Two for two on, on both of us agreeing. Um, they are the 14th offense and the 6th ranked defense. That defense is elite. We'll see if they can maintain that self, maintain with Gobert out for the next month. Um, they've used Derek Favors at center when Gobert's out. and he, That's been really good for Favors, at least offensively, but obviously that can present some challenges defensively. And I agree. I think there would just be too many injuries to overcome to, got, to key guys like Gobert. They also have, have missed Joe Johnson early in the year. And I just worry about the kind of not enough having, having not enough offense or star power. I know Mitchell's been great, but there's probably going to be maybe a stretch a stretch in January where he goes, you know, he just goes ice cold for like two to three weeks or he struggles with turnovers because he's a rookie. So that's what's going to happen. You know, relying on a rookie to be your number one guy to create offensively for both, for both himself and others is a concern for me. And I know they're one of the best, the well-coached teams in the league. I, Quinn Snyder is one of the best in the league. But I think ultimately, no matter how good the coaching is, sometimes you just don't have enough firepower to, to overcome some of these teams and you know, with us agreeing that the Pelicans will make it, we both think all the teams above New Orleans will make it. It really comes down to the Jazz, Thunder, and Clippers. And come on, the Thunder have just so much more talent that you think that'll win out. And, I mean, the Clippers are a whole other story. I didn't, I didn't even put the Clippers on this list. That's how much I think about that. But, um, ultimately, I agree that the Jazz, I, I just don't think the Jazz will have enough firepower to make it. Um, you ready to move on to the East? No. Oh, yeah, let's get to it. All right, let's go to the East for an interesting team, a surprising one. The New York Knicks. They currently sit at 16 and 13. Corbin, will the Knicks make the playoffs? You know what's funny? I, I kind of have the Knicks and the Heat in the same boat. I, I don't know. To me, Miami's offense is just a drag to watch. And, and you know, they, they, they kind of play. They have a really good game, and then it seems like they have a, a letdown game, and then they have another scrappy win. Eric Spolcher is going to get the most out of his guys, but – I look, I look more to the standings, and I mean, after Boston, Cleveland, Toronto, Detroit, Washington, and Indy, I think it's open for the Heat. Um, right now, you know, Knicks are at six, and the Heat are on the outside looking in at ninth. But I think it depends on the two sweet teams they have in the East and what they do. And to me, those teams are Milwaukee and Indy. You know, depending on whether they um, Indy continues treading above water or whether they fall out because they've been playing surprisingly well. And Milwaukee, I mean, I don't know. You just never know now, but. I, I, I'm not going to say that he can't make it. I, I don't really have much of an opinion on them, really. It's just, okay, is there enough spots open after you get the top six locked in? And if so, are the Heat good enough of a team that you can see them calling in? You still have to take into account Philly. I mean, I'm going to go, yeah. I mean, that's not exactly a <laughs> sure answer, but I don't know. 
Well, you just brought up the the heat of the next team I was going to ask you about, but sticking to the Knicks with the ninth. Oh wow, I'm sorry. I went with all the, the ninth best off. Well, you actually haven't answered for the Heat yet, so hold off on the answer for the Heat and um, let me answer for the Knicks first. So the, the Knicks currently have the ninth offense and the seventeenth defense. That that defense is is pretty much the epitome of mediocre. But the offense is top 10, and that's basically because Porzingis has been great when he's been on the floor. Tim Hardaway Jr. has provided his moments, but he he has been out, and he's going to be out, I think, for another couple of weeks, he said, with that injury. Um, and Porzingis is getting banged up almost every almost every night. Every time the Knicks play and he plays, I get a notification that he leaves the game early, or he's going to miss the next game, or he's a game-time decision. And that's concerning, obviously, because without Porzingis, they're going nowhere. And I ultimately think... I'm going to say no, because I think that Porzingis will continue to miss games here or there, and I think that Tim Hardaway Jr. could be out for another couple of weeks, and I think that, you know, I think they're playing a little bit above their heads, and here's the other key aspect for the Knicks. They are currently 14-5 and at home. That's a great home record. They've played 19 home games, and they've only played 10 road games where they're 2-8, and so... Once it evens out when they play more road games, and they go on a road trip pretty soon, I think, if they continue to play this poorly at, at, on the road, when the road games start catching up to them, I think they're going to fall in the standings because they've played nine more home games than road games. So we'll see what happens. I need to wait, honestly. I'm still saying no, but I think in you know two to three weeks from now, after they go on a road trip and we see where they are at that point, we'll get a better picture for the Knicks because they could just be one of those teams that you know is incredible at home but disastrous on the road, and that evens itself out for them to miss the playoffs for a team like the Heat, who is more consistent, um, or the Sixers, who are more consistent, you know, Bucks to pass them, and, and teams like that. So I'm going to say no because I think that their defense is not good enough, and I think that once the road-heavy schedule catches up to them, or it's the home-heavy schedule. Once the road games catch up to them, I think they're going to fall and slip off a little bit. But because you already brought up the Heat, let's move to them um, right away. They're currently 15-14. and 14, So do you want to give an, uh, your definitive answer on the Heat <laughs> before I do? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say no. I, I mean, their team, they have moments when they look... I don't know. Their offense is always looks hard. Like, it looks like they struggle to get points. I mean, I don't know. And then James Johnson's out 7 to 10 days with ankle bursitis. And and I, I don't know because Eric Spolster always gets the most out of his team and Josh Richardson particularly been playing well, but I don't know if they have it down the stretch to 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 really secure a hold. They kind of look I don't know. They just look like they're trying to win. They're a 500 team to me, and I thought that would happen when they locked in all those players that kind of made them what they were when they really bet on whether that 30, 30 11 or yeah thirty eleven um finish was legit or not. And I, I don't know. I think I think it's just average. Well, Goran Dragic's been playing well. Sound White said when he's in is, is, is good, but I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say no. Yeah, and, and White has missed a bunch of games, and it looks like James Johnson will miss a couple of games here or there. And Deion Waiters, I think, Deion Waiters, I think, has been just struggling with an ankle injury, a lingering ankle injury that he doesn't want to sit out for, but he's just not playing that well this season because of it. And you're right. They're they're an ugly kind of grinded out team. They have the 24th ranked offense, which is terrible, and the 13th ranked defense, which isn't that good. You would kind of hope that if your offense is so bad, your defense is at least elite. But they're not even in the top 10. They're kind of close to 15th defensively, which is kind of amazing that they're over 500 right now at 15 and 14. But I'm going to say yes, and this is because I, I think maybe one, I'm a little bit too confident in Eric Spolstra. I just have so much belief that he'll just have his players ready to play, especially down the stretch of the season. Um, and the fact that they're a more experienced team than, say, the Knicks can help them out. And I think they have a good run of them in the later half of the season. I'm not sure where it's going to come from or how. Maybe Whiteside, maybe they just get fully healthy. Um, and maybe it's like post-All-Star break when they all get to rest up and get fully healthy. They go on like a six or seven game winning streak or something like that. Um and pull a couple games out or the Knicks fall. I just think that, as I mentioned with the Knicks, that they're going to have more road games and fall down. I think the Heat will just be more balanced enough because the Heat are 6-7 and seven at home but 9-7 and seven on the road. Just a lot more balanced, more experienced, better coached. So I think that as the Knicks slip a couple of games, the Heat will just quietly sneak into the playoffs. Um, and that's why I think they'll replace the Knicks, and I think that the other teams will just stay in the eight in some order. But I think really it's just going to be the Heat being more experienced and more balanced and better defensively, creeping up and stealing the Knicks spot somewhere in the top eight. Um, and that will lead us to our final team I want to talk about, another team that's right behind the Heat. And most of the, one of the more interesting teams to predict, and obviously one of the more interesting teams in the league to watch, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers, currently right at 500 at 14 and 14. Do you think they're going to make the playoffs? I'm going to say yes. I, I trust the process. I think, <laughs> I mean, I know you, everyone knows who's seen that Joel Embiid, <coughs> excuse me, 
when he's playing is very effective. Ben Simmons run away for rookie of the year at this point. JJ Reddick's been solid. The veterans have 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 played a good role. And even though they've gone through a bit of a rough stretch, rough stretch English quarter, and <laughs> could drop to under 500 for the first time since October, I do think that they'll right this ship. I think there's two factors that, or three really, that I'm concerned about. One, Covington has just been in a really rough slump shooting wise. Um, they really need him to play well. I mean, at one time, I, I think it was um, against the Thunder, but he had a stretch where he was two for seventeen. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was against Thunder, but it was a rough game. And he's their third, their third guy. JJ Reddick, depending on, on what you think about him, is there too. The second is how well will Joel Embiid hold up through the season? He's played really well, kind of hampered with his back injury or back. I think yeah, back tightness, back injury that we've heard about the last couple of days. But that's there, and obviously, he's sitting back to backs and all that. Even though he did play a, a, a career high in minutes, I think against the Thunder that that triple overtime crazy game. And then third, just how Ben Simmons will will stay throughout the course of the season when teams really start going okay. Hey, you know, he really can't shoot. Let's focus our attention on other players. And right now, he's it's been working well because you know he'll they'll go under picks, but he'll just start driving, get a real good head of steam, and just go straight to the rack. But you know, over time, especially as he gets closer to the playoffs, I'm sure defenses will have better schemes. You know, they're really locked down on him. He's still a new guy for now, so it'll be interesting to see how those three factors um, really tie into what happens to the Sixers. But right now, with the talent they have, when they come on the floor, yeah, they're a tough team to play. They're, they're, they're especially really tough at home, and I think they can make the playoffs if they hold up together um, health-wise. This is really tough for me. So just to get the basics down, they have the 19th offense and the 11th defense. So, you know, they're not great offensively below average, but they're pretty much elite defensively, and they're really good defensively with M- when Embiid is on the floor. Um, and I'm just – I'm a big fan of the process and the Sixers, but I, I really want to say yes. I really do. But – <laughs> Here's that but. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just think that the youth and the potential injuries or, you know, scheduled resting of Embiid might keep him out by maybe even just one game. I just think it'll keep him out. And I'm not super comfortable in predicting that they won't make the playoffs, especially because I want to root for them to make the playoffs. But maybe Ben Simmons hits a rookie wall. Maybe Covington continues a slump or maybe Reddick goes into a slump. Maybe Embiid... I mean, maybe he doesn't get a significant injury, but he gets these nagging things to back, the the scheduled rest, blah, blah, blah. He misses, you know, a couple games down the stretch of the season just, you know, to make sure he's healthy for the future. Maybe. Maybe Fultz never comes back healthy. Maybe he doesn't come back until March and it's too late or something like that. And I think Fultz is a very big wild card here for the Sixers. If he can come back in, you know, mid-January and be be okay and to maybe pretty good for the rest of the season, I think they can squeeze in. But I think that it'll be more likely that he struggles significantly to start when he comes back. Or maybe they hold him out the whole year. I don't know. That that, that injury is very weird and very kind of risky to, to play him through um, if he's not fully 100%. So maybe they hold him out. So I think that's a wild card. But I ultimately think that, you know, I mentioned the Heat being, you know, well-coached and experienced and, and you know, good enough defensively to, to catch up to the Knicks. I just think that the Sixers will keep... I think the Sixers will keep pace with both the Heat and Knicks fighting for that eighth spot throughout the entire year. I think down the stretch, I think the Heat... Honestly, I think the Heat could get into the playoffs over the Knicks and Sixers by one game. That's how much I think the difference could be. Ultimately, I think that wow. the youth and the injuries could keep um, the Sixers out while the Heat, you know, just stay more balanced and well-coached and experienced and squeeze in. But honestly, for the Sixers, it's not only about this year. It would be great to see them in the playoffs, but I think that they'll take a better view, especially if, like, if, if you get to, like, March and... Let's say let's say you get to April and it's like the final three games of the year and Embiid you know maybe Embiid doesn't come to you but whatever happens and they find out that Joel has like this kind of lingering bothersome pain in his knee but you know they know that they're only a half game out of the playoffs like what do they do that's that's what I'm wondering like would you play Embiid if they were let's say it's the second to last game of the season they got two more games they're a half game out but Embiid you know says oh I've got this pain in my right knee or right ankle what what do you do then uh, uh, that's i mean personally you just got if he has pain he can't you got to sit him out right exactly that's what i'm thinking so i'm not, i mean that's not a very specific example but something like that <laughs> could happen in march or april and that could happen a couple games over time and then that could really hurt the sixers so ultimately while i'm not super comfortable in predicting they're going to miss the playoffs I think the Heat are going to get in over the Knicks and Sixers. Obviously, I'll probably be laughed at in, in a couple of months when the Sixers and the Knicks are both in the playoffs, but that's why we do these predictions anyways. 
true. That, that's why you do it. Exactly. Why um, all right. So with that being said, let's move on to our next segment, the Half Court Heave. Okay, so the half court heave is our weekly prediction segment. So we just came off we just came off a segment making predictions, but we're making different type of predictions now. These are either short term or long term. Mine this week happens to be long term, and I'll get mine over with quickly before I go see, go to yours, Corbin. My half court heave of the week is that the Timberwolves will make a move, a trade for a bench piece, um, and basically I think they they have that Oklahoma City first round pick that they got. Um, from the Jazz in that Ricky Rubio trade right before free agency started. The Timberwolves can't trade their own pick, um, but they can trade that Thunder pick. And I think that that Thunder pick, I know it's, I think it's lottery protected, but I think that pick will be enough to get them some kind of bench piece. And here's the reason why. I mean, they, they have to keep the starters or really their key, you know, top six or seven guys in the rotation. They have to keep them fresh down the stretch for the playoffs. Right now, I mean, on last week's episode when I did it alone, you know, Coach Tibbs Thibodeau was my worst of the week because of how much he's playing his guys. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And there was a stretch where Jimmy Butler played like five straight games with 40 minutes played, and the sixth game he played like 39 minutes and 30 seconds, so basically 40 minutes, and Towns playing 40 minutes, and they he's putting players in when there's a blowout. I mean, I don't know. They have to keep them fresh, and I know that they're still young, but you cannot wear them down because when you get tired, the two things that go the, the quickest are your defense and you're shooting. And if they're too tired down the stretch of the season, that's what's going to kill them. They already have a terrible defense. They're one of the, I think they're the worst defensive team in the league in the fourth quarter. Um, I mentioned that stat last week. I don't know if it's still applicable, but I think you know in one week, much too many things haven't changed that much. So I think they're still the worst defensive team in the fourth quarter. They shoot terribly in the, in the fourth quarter, especially most of their key guys like Butler and Wiggins and Towns and stuff like that. So I think that they're going to use that first-round pick, the few trade assets, or maybe one of the only trade assets they have, to use a pl- to get a player that can help them off the bench to relieve some some of these starters and key guys, just so they're fresh for the playoffs and and, and in March and April when the games really count the most and when they want to have the most success. So my half-court heaves that the Timberwolves will make a move for bench piece around the trade deadline, and I'll swing it to you for your half-court heave. Okay, so I'm actually going to revisit this team just a bit over the next couple of minutes here. But my half-court heave is that the Memphis Grizzlies are going to go 1-5 and five in their final six games to close out the year. And they play the Warriors on the 20th, followed by the Suns on the 21st. Then they have the Clippers 23rd, the Suns again on the 26th, the Lakers on the 27th, and then they get the Warriors again to close out that. Or that's on the 30th. I... Don't see the winning game against the Warriors, obviously. The Suns is where I see them getting one of their wins. I think the Clippers are going to clip them. Ha, see what I did there. And I think Lonzo and the Lakers are going to be too much for the Grizzlies. They're just in a bad place, in a bad way. They're slumping, and I think they will continue. I think they're going to go into the, into the new year on just a horrendous dive. And I'll be going into them more later, but it's probably not bold, but that's just more team-specific. I don't see them really getting a couple wins out here, even though they have potentially some winnable games here against the Suns and the Clippers and Lakers. I just don't see them getting it done. Yeah, I mean, they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They're they're one game ahead of the Mavericks for the worst team in the West, and almost, they're close to being one of the worst. Te- they're one of the worst teams in the entire league. I mean, no one saw this coming. Oh, Obviously, hands down. Obviously, they've had the injuries, especially to Mike Conley, which is still killing my fantasy team, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, other than so <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a real struggle. But having James Harden is <laughs> really great to make up for that. Um, but you know, Tyreek Evans has been great, played great, and and I don't want to go too much into the Grizzlies because it's just a half court heave segment. But I think that what they can get for him on the trade market will be one of the more fascinating things to watch because I think the way he's playing, he he could fetch something serious in return for them, and they obviously should trade him because he's on a one year deal. He's not young he's you know 27 28 so he doesn't really fit their timeline um and i know they haven't really said they want to rebuild but trading evans at least makes sense because he's on a one-year deal and he'll probably be looking for a raise in the offseason so just a quick note is that i'm really interested to see what the grizzlies can get for tyreek evans on the trade market that's gonna be interesting and he has been playing well and still very good from three i mean especially for a guy like tyreek evans who at best is streaky but he i mean a fall is to be expected to be expected but that fall hasn't happened yet so Exactly. That's something. But you got your uh, second. You say, "Oh, that's pretty much it." I think, right? We just yeah. talked about. Him. Yeah, we're good with All the right. half court heave. 
I'm telling you, man, I'm slipping here. It's I gotta the rust. get it together. It's the rust. It's all right. <laughs> you, you're right, man. You're right. Let me let me polish it off here. But now, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're good. We're heading out to three points. And now, here are the three points. Ooh, okay, Eric. I'm telling you. All right, but um, do you want to go start off with the three points, or would you like me to continue? Mine is on the Grizzlies, so I could just flow right into it if you want. Yeah, flow right into the Grizzlies. All right, so my point is that Fizdale. I mean, this is this at this point is kind of everyone like, oh, no real, no really Sherlock, but Fizdale wasn't the problem for Memphis. I mean, right now Memphis is currently sitting 14 in the Western Conference, as we stated at nine and 21. They're two and eight in their last 10. They're 27th in offensive efficiency, just horrible in that category. 16th in defensive efficiency, but with, with offense like that, I mean, we don't really got to talk about your defense. And they just look miserable. They The last couple of losses, I mean, they lost to the Hawks, which, I mean, they, they're a scrappy team, but come on. They lost to the Thunder in a game where OKC all but handed it over to them. They've had double-digit losses to the Knicks, to the Nets. It's just a mess. I think that Fizdale took the axe, and to me, it was for no reason other than a, a, a ill-fated power struggle with Marcus Saul. And to what end? Because there's there doesn't seem to be any way that the Grizzlies are going to dig out this hole soon. And that, to me, is a shame. Fizdale was a great coach. I knew he was going to get another opportunity. But after this set of games and, and this record, and we see they even have the, the coach bump that you get when you lose a coach and you, you fire back. I mean, even the Suns. I think the Suns <laughs> lost by like 50 in the first year, in, in their first week. And they had the coach bump. So if you're that bad, you don't even have that, then the reasons are bigger than just the coach. And to me, it's just a shame that Fizdale had to fall upon the sword for a team that shows no sign of improving soon. Yeah, and as we before I get to my point, I want to just mention quickly, when we talked about this this firing when it initially happened, we had both argued that it was such a bad move because even if Fizdale, we both said that, even if Fizdale isn't the right coach for this team, he is the coach that can kind of, introduced and transitioned into the new era of the Grizzlies once they move on from Conley and Gasol, which we thought would have been a better move is to just trade and rebuild with Fizdale as coach because he's just that guy, great player coach, great, uh, pretty young, pretty inexperienced as a head coach. He could grow with the next era of the Grizzlies, but instead they decided to kind of put all the chips on the table now, fire him because Marcus was having some problems. They were struggling as a team. They needed to make some kind of move and they weren't going to trade their players around, away. So obviously the next thing you do is fire the coach, even if, if it's wrong or right. That's what they do. And they fire him. Uh, JBB, J- uh, John Blair Bickerstaff is their interim. We, we saw him in Houston as an interim. He did nothing. Um, very disappointing there. I, I was really high on him when he was an assistant with the Rockets before I thought when he took over this is the start of him be having a successful run as a head coach. He did nothing there. He's doing even less here. And I know, obviously, there have been injuries and not that good of a roster, blah, blah, blah. There's some chemistry issues. Marcus Gasol, his effort and his comments have been really bad about the organization and his teammates in general. It's just an ugly situation. But Bickerstaff has been disappointing as well. So I agree with you. It, it clearly was not Fisdale. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to my point because talking about the Grizzlies really kind of saddens me really quickly. Um, <laughs> but to lift our spirits up and to lift my spirits up especially, let's move to Chris Paul because my first point is that Chris Paul is still a top 10 player and probably even a top 8 or 9 player for really being honest here. I think a lot of people in the offseason obviously it was a headlining flashy move the Rockets are crying Chris Paul how will he fit with Harden I think a lot of people thought hey Chris Paul's 32 um, he had a quiet season with the Clippers they were bouncing the first round I think people kind of writ him off uh, wrote him off a little bit too easily uh, you watch Chris Paul and he's been back now the Rockets are 14-0 and with him so they won the first game with uh, first game of the year with him against the Golden State they're now thir- on a 13 game winning streak since he returned basically a month to this day on, on November 16th and you watch Chris Paul, and if you ever want to just watch someone who just looks so natural, his command of the game uh, is just incredible. And it's not on offense only. It's on both ends of the floor. He is one of the most aware and smart defenders in the league. He knows where to put his teammates. He knows where to tell them where to go. He knows when to rotate over himself. And on the offensive end, his control of the pick and roll, knowing when to throw the pass and where to throw it and how to throw it with what kind of spin and if he throws a high lob, if he throws a bounce pass. And then obviously he has those flashy dribble moves obviously, to keep it entertaining. But his, it's just incredible to watch. And, and so far, some of the numbers now to back this up. I mentioned the Rockets are 14-0 with him on the floor. And he's averaging 17.6 points, 9.2 assists, and 5.1 rebounds per game. All pretty good numbers. But he's shooting 43% on three-pointers, which is a career high. 
and he has a career-high true shooting percentage of 63.4, and even his win shares per 48 minutes is at a career-high rate. And this is him at 32 years old, so it's incredible to watch. And and the, the probably the best thing for him and the Rockets is that because, as I mentioned in our in our baseline segment, because Mike D'Antoni staggers the minutes, one of him or Harden is always on the floor, and most of the time it leads to Chris Paul playing against bench units and we're, we're talking about a top 10 player going against the bench backcourt it's incredible he just kills these teams because he gets subbed out early in the first quarter he comes back um, towards the end of the first quarter early second quarter and he runs this lineup with Eric Gordon and Maba Mute when he was healthy and PJ Tucker and you know sometimes Nene sometimes Tariq Black sometimes Clint Capella comes back in it's, it's incredible to watch them just destroy these opposing bench units and I think my final point I know I'm rambling here but my final point about just how good Chris Paul is, is that I think people kind of underrated the fact that he still can kill you from the mid-range, and that's exactly what the Rockets will need in the playoffs. When teams like the Spurs, like they did last year, the Spurs said, you know what, we're going to give you those mid-range shots. We're going to defend you at the rim. We're going to have a a big man drop and be at the rim at the all times, and we're going to press up on you at the three-point line. And we're going to give you those mid-range shots, and you're not going to take them. Well, this season, I guarantee if some team does that strategy again, and the Bucks kind of did that in the fourth quarter um, on Saturday, Chris Paul does, you know what, fine, I'll take those mid-range shots. I'm probably the best mid-range shooter in the league off the dribble and he'll kill teams and be crucial for the Rockets in the playoffs. So my first point is that Chris Paul is still a top 10 player and with that I will be done with my rambling and swing it back to you for your second point. Okay I I had to say that was just the most beautiful eloquent synopsis (laughs) of a player I've had the privilege of hearing and and you know it's funny just just a brief note I was actually going to put that the Rockets on my something foul just because of how they ruined my, 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 my Friday night when I was watching them play the Rock, the Spurs. <laughs> I just came from that triple overtime masterpiece between the Thunder 76ers, and I said, wow, I go from that to another great game. I watched that game for two minutes and then turned off and played 2K. The Rockets, <laughs> the Rockets are just, they're crazy. I don't blame right? you. I don't blame you. Oh, man, I was so irritated. I was like, I just wanted to see a good game, man. I'm not going to see the Rockets just hit three after three. And the announcer was like, oh, my God, another three, another three. Like, come on now. Anyway, yeah, Chris Paul, high level. I'm actually about to do my own gushing. Um, And this is for more love for LBJ, man. LeBron James. J- James Harden's a favorite for MVP and with good reason. But I hate it just for the year LeBron is having in year 15. It's just crazy. He just passed Bird for six on all time on triple double on the triple double list. He had. His last three games, 25, 12, and 12 over Alonzo in L.A., 29, 11, and 10 over Utah, 20, 12, and 15 tonight in a win against Washington. For the year, he's averaging 27.2 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game, and 7.1 assists per game. And his mastery of just all his shots. You know, if he gets a simple switch, if you're smaller than him, he's taking you down the post. He's going past you. He has great touch around the rim. You know know he's going to go to school you. If it's a bigger guy. You, you know, he's going to swing it out, dribble between his legs a couple times, take that step back three. He knows it. The defender knows it. We, the viewers, know it. And it still doesn't matter because that's going in. And at this time, to be at the peak of your powers. And LeBron's always been at the top of his game. But in year 15, on, on a surging Cavs team that's been playing really well, I don't know. He gets respect, but I don't think he gets that. He doesn't get enough, in my opinion, for what he's doing right now in that year. I mean, Carl Malone, maybe Kareem at year 15 and even and i wasn't around for that time but as dominant as he's being not just numbers but just taking over the game nobody being able to stop him it, it's just amazing and yes harden deserves to be mvp he's long overdue you know they, they have the best record in the west they're they're just unstoppable offensively defensively they're stout they're they're very good i'm not saying harden should win and and, and to be fair every time harden comes up he comes up against great stories and and great and just great statistical powerhouses that you know it's a shame he hasn't won earlier but you know for me being a lebron fan at least in his later years and just seeing what he's doing at this time i i just have to give him a shout out because it's simply it's almost unprecedented in the amount of control he has on all to all spots of the game imagine if he played with 100 percent intensity all the time you know what i mean that it's just it's crazy well it's well, crazy so that, that's my that's my um well, hopefully we'll be able to see that 100% intensity all the time in a couple months in the playoffs, and that should be a treat to watch. <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah. No, that'd be nice, man, because, oh, geez, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Yeah, and a couple things I wanted to point out. I mean, 
when someone is so great for so long, I think it just after after you know a couple of years, you're just like you know what? Yeah, like he's great. We know it. Like that. That's what people like. It happens in any sport, in, in anything really. I mean, if if you're great for such a long time as LeBron has been, it just people come to expect it, and that's why it's so hard to kind of step it up. That's why you know Steph Curry was having a great season before he got hurt. And people were like, oh, yeah, like he's great. He already won two MVPs. Like, we know that. But he was having a really great season. Like, in other years, he would be, like, an MVP frontrunner probably. But because of the other greatness from, you know, James Harden, LeBron, and Giannis to begin the season, you know, Curry was barely mentioned. It's, it's like greatness. People get used to greatness a lot more than, obviously, they get. People get used to greatness. And what happens is that, they're so used to it that when something else fresh and new gets thrown in their face, like Victor Oladipo exploding into an all-star, like they gravitate towards that more because they haven't they not, haven't experienced it before. They're not used to it. They want to learn more. When you're great as LeBron has been for so long, they're just like, yeah, like you're great. We get it. And it, it'll be interesting because I'm very interested to see because I think that he will get more MVP votes than I think people think. Obviously, it's early in the season, but I do think that there will be a lot of voters out there that really want to vote for LeBron over Harden despite Harden obviously having a great season and the Rockets being great. So I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I think it'll be, I think the MVP, v, MVP vote will be a lot more interesting than people think. But that's enough rambling for me. I don't want to take too much time. So I want to move to my second point because <laughs> it, it's a little bit lengthy. Um, so for those of you who listen to the Dunked On uh, NBA podcast, um, Nate and Danny, the host of that podcast, recently did their episode ranking the top prospects age 23 and under and their lists you can find it on their episode or you can i think it's somewhere on twitter there was a list of them but here are my rankings just to give my own take so in this order i've got Giannis, Embiid, porzingis ben simmons carl anthony towns nikola Jokic, dennis smith jr jason tatum donovan mitchell and markel fultz just a couple of explanations because my list is a uh, pretty similar to uh nate's list um but just I have Embiid and Porzingis over Towns, mainly for the defensive end of the floor. We, we've, we've heard enough about Carl Anthony Towns' defense. I mean, he sometimes looks so lost off the ball. And for a player playing at center, such an important defensive position, he's fine on the ball. Like, he's engaged and he's, he's okay. He's capable to move his feet. But you get him off the ball and he just he looks like a, a chicken with its head cut off sometimes. And it's <laughs> really, it's it's almost dumbfounding. I, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly sometimes... In, I feel like I'm getting punked like someone's playing a joke on me for him playing so unaware off the ball defensively. And you don't get that with Embiid and Porzingis. Obviously, taking Embiid and Porzingis over Towns is a big injury risk, especially with Embiid. But even Porzingis, we mentioned before, seems to get banged up every game. (laughs) Excuse me. But um, when you're choosing prospects for the future, I think, honestly, I'm I'm more of the opinion where you you just take that gamble. I I mean, you take the gamble and see you can have real two-way players in Embiid and Porzingis over what I consider a one-way player in Carl Anthony Towns. And then moving towards the bottom of my list, um, obviously I put Simmons over Towns as well because I think that Simmons has potential to be truly special, again, on both ends of the floor, but also just his his you know unique versatility as the 6'10 point guard who can also guard power forwards and, and, and other wings on the defensive end, yet he plays point guard on offense. I think that's incredibly rare and versatile and valuable in today's NBA, and obviously we'll see if he can ever develop a jump shot, but you know, Giannis has not needed a jump shot at all so far this in his career, but that's why I'm putting Simmons over Towns. And then towards the end of my list, I'm putting Dennis Smith Jr. over guys like Tatum and Mitchell who have shown a lot more this season. I just think that, again, I want to take the upside of Dennis Smith Jr. over Tatum and Mitchell, who seem to be a little bit more, especially seem to be more polished. Um, Tatum has looked great. He's putting up 14.5 points per game on incredible shooting. I think he's still leading the league in three-point percentage, which is incredible. And obviously, we talked about Donovan Mitchell basically being the number one go-to guy for the Jazz and doing it fairly efficiently as well. But I, again, want to talk about this upside. I think Dennis Smith Jr. has more upside than them. And when you're talking about choosing prospects, especially at this young age, all of them I think are 19 or 20, um, I think Dennis Smith Jr. has more upside. And especially with these concerns with Marco Fultz's injury, which I talked about um, in Full Court Press, I, I lowered him on my list but still have him in the uh, top 10, I think. Yeah, one, two, three. Yeah, so in the end, I'm going to go with uh, 
Dennis Smith Jr. over Tatum and Mitchell and Fultz, mainly because Fultz has the injury concerns, and I think that Smith Jr. has more upside than Tatum and Mitchell, who are better now and more polished and maybe better for the foreseeable future, but we're talking about upside when they're hitting 24-25. I think that's when Dennis Smith Jr. can really grow into the player who he is. So be inspired by Nate and Danny's list. That is my list of the top prospects age 23 and under, and I'll swing it back to you for your final uh, point of the week. All right, well, that was a very in-depth. I apologize. I apologize for the rambling. Sorry, these are lengthy points, but uh, oh. <laughs> I have to get my mind out there. <laughs> not, not at all, man. That was good. Well, mine is that, I don't know, I don't think Andrew Wiggins has lived up to his contract or is living up to his contract so far. And I'm kind of worried because, you know, he's playing the way he's pretty much always played. Um, for the year, he's averaging 20.2 points, 20.2 points, four rebounds, and 2.1 assists per game, proving as he has so far in his career, that he can score in the else. His last three games, he had 20.7 rebounds and two assists versus Philly, 22 points, one rebound, and zero assists versus Sacramento, and 13 points, one rebound, and one assist versus Phoenix. And mind you, you know, he is working with Jimmy Butler and, and Carlin Towns, and, and Tibbs is playing them to the ground. But the development just doesn't seem to be there, other than offensively. And even that, he, he, he seems to be someone who could fill it up or, or at least get it up. And just doesn't bring anything. Other than that, his defense, even with Jimmy Butler, has been waning at times. You just see him off ball slacking just a little bit. You know, he's not the most astute as far as um, off the dribble looking for passes and everything and, and really getting others involved. And he doesn't really mix it up when the rebounding front. He's there. But, I mean, if, if you could say to someone that you just gave such a massive contract to that he's there, I, I don't know if that's if that's something that you want to be doing. And for me, I don't know. He, he's still young. You know, he still has potential, and he could be more. And with Jimmy Butler there, you hope that he is at least taking some knowledge and, and applying in some ways of his game. But for five years, $146.5 million, and to be giving out this level of production, I think it's kind of scary right now for Glenn Taylor. I don't know. Yeah. But um, so far, not liking what I'm seeing from him. Yeah, and a lot of people basically said, you know, oh, in this in this lesser role, in this third role, he'll become more efficient and just a better player, more polished. Well, that hasn't been the case not at so. all. So, again, he's, <laughs> young, it's, he's young. The team is still integrating a lot of pieces, so maybe over time it works. Maybe in February, March, he looks a lot more comfortable in this kind of third role, which is what the role he should be in because, obviously, Butler and Towns are better players, especially offensively. So maybe over time... Maybe even maybe it takes you know maybe even a year from to get used to this role and this kind of more efficient kind of third role, but it is concerning right now. And I want to move. Sure. Speaking of concerning, I, we have to talk about my final point because that is the Charlotte Hornets. And my point is that the Hornets need to blow this thing up. Just just blow it you up. You were get, right. De- get all the bombs you can right. and detonate this team, detonate this franchise right now because. They are ten and nineteen. They're two and eight in their last ten games. And they're remember the Bulls having just the, one of the worst starts in the league at three and twenty. Well, the Bulls because they've won five straight and because the Hornets have fallen off. The Bulls are just one and a half games behind the Hornets in the standings. That's how bad it is for Charlotte. Um, they have the twenty-first ranked offense and the fourteenth ranked defense. And you know, fine that that defense is above average. You know, give credit to Clifford and, and you know guys like Dwight Howard and Kid Gilchrist leading that. Their offense is just killer and whenever Kemba Walker's off the floor their offense is just abysmal and the main reason they have to blow it up because obviously this is not working they're not even close to making the playoffs this year 10 and 19 they're closer to the top the first pick in the draft than they are making to the playoffs um and here's the thing. Kemba Walker is a free agent after next season. He's only making $12 because he signed that contract a couple of years ago before the salary cap exploded. He's going to want the max contract. And I think by that time, he'll be 28, maybe turning 29. Or maybe he'll be 29, turning 30. I don't know off the top of my head. But do you really want to pay a max contract to a player, an aging guard who's pretty small, who's had his fair share of injuries over the course of his career, on a team that even with him... And all these other pieces around him, which aren't great pieces, but the team is very expensive. Do you really want to pay him a max contract when he's going to be into his, you know, mid thirties? When he's a young agent, uh, not a young. I mean, excuse me, a small agent guard. I'm saying young. That's a contradiction. Um, <laughs> he's 27. Now. Yeah, he's 27 now. So I think at the end of next, so at the end of next season, he'll be at least 28, maybe even turning 29. Um, do you want to pay him a max contract that pays him a five-year, who knows how much it'll be, a five-year's $160 million contract that pays him until he's 34? Especially when this team, being led by him and you know some other quality pieces, Batum has been injured, I know, but Howard has been pretty good. Um, 
you don't want to pay him. I don't want. If I was the Hornets, I would not want to pay him that max contract because I see that it doesn't work. And the other reason they have to blow it up because they're stuck in salary cap hell. They got Batum making twenty million a year, Dwight Howard making twenty million a year, at least for another year, and he's been good for them. But obviously, he's not really doing anything to actually win games. Um, Kid Gilchrist is on a, a decent salary. I think it's at thirteen million. Um, they've got a lot of salaries that they could use to dump. I mean. Uh, Cody Zeller, I think, is making nine to ten million a year, and he's a good player, but he's now injured. He gets injured fairly often. Here's the thing: you try and trade what you can. Maybe you can trade Kid Gilchrist. Maybe you can trade Frank Kaminsky. Get some, trade some of the other role players. Really tank out the bottom of this year. Get a really good draft pick. Or get a top five pick this year and rebuild. I mean, you can probably get really good value for Kemba Walker. He still has another year on his contract. So if you can trade him this season, you'll get a lot more value than if you were to trade him in the off season. So get the good top five pick this year. Rebuild around what you can get for Kemba and some of the other role players. Decide if Steve Clifford is the right coach for a rebuild, and and just go to the bottom to get back up to the top. You're not gonna you're not gonna get back to the playoffs and get back to the top of the the top four of the standings doing it this way when they're ten and nineteen with this team that's extremely expensive. So, my third and final point: the Hornets need to blow it up. That's that's enough rambling for me. Do you have anything to add for any of these points before we move on? Other than to concede that you were right with the Hornets, and I remember a couple weeks ago I was like, no, no, they can still be okay, but I'm totally with you now. You're right. So other than to concede to that, I'm ready to move on. I mean, it's tough for me to admit this because I, pre- I predicted them to make the playoffs, and I'm rooting for them because I like a lot of their pieces, and I like Steve Clifford as a coach, but sometimes some of these yeah. franchises, like the Grizzlies and stuff like that, they need to face the facts that the writing is on the wall. So for the Hornets, blow it up. And with that being said, we will now move on to our fifth segment, Something Foul. Now, it's time for something foul. Okay, so something foul is basically our worst of the week segment, and mine is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I actually have two. They're pretty small. My first one, the Chicago Bulls. This is tongue-in-cheek, really, because I'm telling them to stop winning (laughs) because they have not (laughs) lost with uh, Miritich in the lineup. They have five straight wins with Miritich in the lineup. As I mentioned before, they're they're on the heels of of passing the Hornets, and they're quickly moving up the standings. I mean... The thing with the Bulls is that what do you really get from winning games? Obviously, it's hard to tell the players to not win. But at some point, management has to be like, you know what? We would do a lot better if we tanked and got Doncic, the protected, projected number one pick, um, than we were if we were to finish as, say, I don't know, the 13th or 12th best team in the East because we'd be winning a couple of these silly games in December. I mean, I know it's great for the fans to get them w- some wins and the players want to win games, but ultimately you got to realize that the future is, is a lot brighter if you actually tank this year and get that top three pick. So the Chicago Bulls, kind of tongue-in-cheek, stop winning. My other something foul is a little bit more serious and a little bit more annoying. It's the Rockets. So if those of you who are not aware, that Nike took over the uniforms this season and for the foreseeable future, and each team has four jerseys. Now, three of them have been, have been revealed, and just this past week, the teams and the and Nike are revealing the fourth alternate jersey, which the Nike is calling the City Edition. Now, some of these teams, actually all these teams, are getting jerseys that somehow reflect their city. The Heat have these kind of Miami Vice kind of themed jerseys. The Nuggets have these mountains kind of painted on their shorts um, for their jerseys. Well, what do the Rockets do? Well, they go out and they reveal a jersey that has Chinese on it. They have. They are using the uniforms that the NBA used for the Chinese New Year's week um, in previous seasons. The same exact uniform, the red with the kind of gray shoulder stripes with Chinese lettering on it. How does that reflect wow. Houston? How does that reflect your city? How do you brand that as your quote-unquote city edition jersey? It's such a. It's such a desperate, cheap ploy for ex- kind of expanding and continuing your reach in the Chinese market. And I know that's great for the franchise moving forward, but come on, have some, do a clutch city jersey. Do do something that reflects Houston. You, you know, you have other opportunities to brand in China rather than using a fourth city edition jersey to have Chinese lettering on it to kind of continue tapping into that market. So those are my two something fouls. The Chicago Bulls kind of joking, stop winning, but the Rockets for really annoying a lot of their fans for having a city edition jersey that reflects nothing about the city of Houston. And with that, Corbin, I will go for your something foul. Hopefully it's not as sour as mine. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, Eric was real passionate about those jerseys right there. (laughs) No, mine is rather arbitrary, but I don't know. I feel it's foul only because I was really looking forward to it. But news came out today that um, Cavs all-star guard Isaiah Thomas is targeting the first week of January 
for a season debut with Cleveland. And that's great because, you know, before he got traded there, some feared that because of his hips, he would never shoot up. And that was obviously worst-case scenario type of fear. But now that he's coming back, especially at a time when the Cavs are surging right now, and they're saying that he's made significant progress from his hip injury, has confidence he can play now, but the plan has been set to ensure he returns for the long run. This is great. All well and good. However, I'm just upset because I really want him to come before Christmas. I really wanted to see him, even with, you know, a day of practice, no days of practice. I don't really care. But I wanted to see him in that Christmas game against Golden State just to see how it match up. And now, you know, they're going to play again before the season, before the end of the season. And if he's healthy, he'll be in the on the team. and We'll see it. But that would have been the icing on the cake. Uh, you can't really say something foul because of someone coming back from injury. I would never do that. However, as just uh, irrational fanboy right now, I really wish he could come for this Christmas game against the Warriors. But, I mean, at the same time, he's coming back. It's set, you know, before um, beginning of January, before a nice stretch of games where he faces Portland, Boston, Orlando. So, I mean, he gets to come back for Boston. That's nice. But ultimately, man, I, I just wish we had at least – a, a, a shimmer of the full cast team that's going to be going into the finals before that rematch. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of. I guess yours is more of a disappointing something foul, but still something. Yeah. Still a something foul nonetheless. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Yeah. But um, did you have anything to add or? No, I'm good to move, to move on. on, or, on. All right. Well, we're going to go to our final segment, the and one. Let's get it. Finally, it's time for the N1. All right, Eric. So I'm going to be quick with the N1 here and then let you close it out to end us for the evening. But my N1, you know, it's it's next week. It's the NBA Christmas games. Um, it's going to be interesting being that it's going to be basically on, on a Monday. So that'll be kind of fun. But we're going to see the finals rematch. We're going to see the Houston Rockets go up against the big three in OKC. We're going to see the Wizards and Celtics funeral games from last year pick it right back up and there's still two more games and it's it's just a great full slate of games and for me it means a lot as an nba fan i remember you know all my life even before when we were younger and we, we didn't have cable and we we're kind of you know a little on the poor side i remember just looking forward to those two mid-afternoon games on abc you know the finals rematch and the one game that that was kind of like the matchup afterwards and and just really relishing those and watching them with my with my with my father and really enjoying them and and just lo- those were the games that I, that I look forward to. Those were the games that basically made Christmas. You know what I mean? And so to be able to do that again, a little older, you know, I was a little wiser looking at it from a different level. Back then it was just to make sure the Lakers won every Christmas game and Kobe <laughs> scored 50. But to be able to see that now and, and as we see another NBA Christmas Day coming behind us, it just really means great for the league and the games that we have. And... Just, just where we're at right now. And so I'm looking forward to that. A, a big game, you know, Dunked On usually has an all-day a Twitter NBA show, which is always fun to tune into. And you have the games playing. I'm sure me and you are going to be talking about it throughout. It's just a really fun day. So I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, let's swing it on to you and hear what you guys say. It, that's a great end one. And that's almost that should have been my end one. But obviously I figured, you know, maybe you would mention it or maybe we would talk about it later on the week. But uh, my end one is we're going back to the Rockets because obviously winning streaks kind of capture the attention. And, so, and currently the Rockets winning streak sits at 13 games. And their next five are home against the Jazz, the Lakers, and Clippers. So three more home games. Then they go obviously to that christmas day matchup at oklahoma city and then at boston so those final two games really present a challenge i know the thunder have struggled but they are at home and obviously the celtics are a very good team and they're going to be that's going to be on the road for the rockets as well so the rockets i think should escape this homestand with the winning streak intact now they've been banged up mabamute's out for another two to two three weeks james harden has this lingering knee injury that he says he's going to continue playing on because the doctors told him it can't get any worse. That obviously is never great news and, you, you know, it'd be great for him to sit out, but it looks like they're going to play him. And, and when they are shorthanded with not Baba Mute, they play an eight-man rotation. And if they miss another player, they, they play a seven-man rotation. And that, that's just killer for them. So they could get worn out by Christmas or maybe by that Celtics game. But I think they'll escape the homestand with their winning streak intact, which would put it at 16 
Can they pull out those big home wins? I didn't mention this, but the game right after Boston, the second night of a back-to-back after playing the Celtics, is at Washington, another tough matchup. So can this, can they pull it out, or will their short rotation with injuries wear them out and they ultimately fall to the maybe the Thunder or the Celtics? Or maybe they get upset at home. It's possible. You know, the Jazz are feisty. Lakers and Clippers are still there and feisty as well. So I'm just going to – the and one is the Rockets' winning streak. I predict that it will go – 17 games. That's my prediction. I'm making, this is a whole episode of predictions for us. I'm not really used to this. I don't feel very comfortable, but <laughs> I'm telling. I'm, I, I think it'll go to 17, and they'll fall in Boston. Though I could very well seeing it fall in Oklahoma City. So my end one is the Rockets' winning streak. And uh, you have anything else to add before we wrap up the show? Hey, you know, other than promising to bring my A game next time and check off this rust, that was <laughs> mildly embarrassing for me. Uh, it's great to be back on with you, man. It was it was a fun little talk here, fun pod as usual. The listeners will definitely definitely be sympathetic. Don't worry. And uh, everyone, <laughs> you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Eric Sparrows MBA. Follow our site and show on Twitter at the ninety four feet report, and check out our website ninety four feet report dot com. Again, check out draft if you want to do daily live snake drafts instead of playing against these salary cap pros. Um, you're chances of winning increase and if you use promo code 94 feet with all caps you get free entry into a paid contest with your first deposit so check out draft and follow us on twitter um corbin why don't you throw out where people can follow you and and find your work all right Cor- corbin ford mba so we see what i got um pretty much that you know retweeting stuff Come on, someone hop on and start a conversation with me. I like those, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we all love conversations. So, all right, guys, um, we should be back later in the week with another one of our shorter, unedited, kind of free-flowing pods. Um, but until then, have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Take care. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.